last week, if you were here, I actually was in the back during the sermon. So I went back and listened to the entirety of it last night. Brad and I have talked through um, some of the subject of sonship before, taught on it a little bit before. And um, so I kind of had a general vague idea of where he was going, but I was listening to actually what he said. And I just, I loved it. I love hearing him speak on it because he speaks on our adoptions. And, um, and, and he shared that, you know, we have four kids. And, uh, and so it goes 19, 13, whew, that just happened this last week. 19, 13, 8, that happened two weeks ago. And five. And, and, and Brad and I do not seem to have the type of kids that other people have when I walk through grocery stores. I, would, I remember when they were little and I'd be walking through with a cart and they're in various stages of falling out of the cart or standing on top of the cart or trying to crawl under the cart. And it's like lacerations and amputations were about to happen all over the place at any given time. And then somebody else would come walking through and they're pushing the cart and there's like this sleepy baby or a child just sitting there. And I was like, what? Like, did I do something wrong? Have I done something different? So this is where I'm going with this. I believe I'm, ra- I'm raising world changers, all right? It's gonna take some grit and some, uh, in order to like make it to the other side of the world and go do things for Jesus. I mean, that's, that's my, my prayer. Because otherwise, oh my word. I mean, we just, there's so much energy in our family. But Emma and Josie came along and he shared about that and he shared about how we had had, we were married 13 years and had never been able to carry a pregnancy to fruition. Um, and that was hard, y'all. That was hard. You know, it's interesting being on the other side of infertility and you think that that story is over. But as a mom, you carry that because there's those thoughts and there's the things that you miss. And you think... Um, 13 years is a, for me was a long time to lay down the dreams and the thoughts that I'd had. And he filled my arms with two kids and I was good, but it was hurtful still. There was like a seed in there a little bit of just like hurt and just wish. Maybe it was more like a wish of just like, what could it have been like? What would it be like? And I knew very clearly that with each of the girls, had we had a house full of other kids, we couldn't have just stood up and run when he said go, which is often what our life is like. So somebody was asking me like, hey, you missing Brad yet? Had a couple people. And I was like, you know, when God says for you to stand up and run and you say yes and you go, I just want to cheer you on. I just want to cheer you on. I feel like that's how I am in ministry and that's how I am in my marriage. That's how I am with my kids. I just want to be like, yeah, just run, just run. So I'm excited that Brad's getting to run. And, and so each time one of the, we would get a call. Both of our adopted girls were beautiful stories. I'll share that another time. I think I've shared it some, but um, we'd get a call in six and a half years to the day apart. Our girls are born six and a half years apart and to the day. And, and it was just, I remember the Lord just saying, are you ready? Now run. He's going to look at all of us at some point and say, are you ready? And we don't really know when that fruition time is going to be, do we? Well, we don't know when training ends. And he's like, it's good. Let's go. Let's run. 
And to some of y'all, he might be saying it right now, and to others, it's like he's still, he's still working on something. Something is brewing. Sasha's been brewing and cooking and baking on something for a while, right? Like, she, her beautiful belly is just there, and you just see Jubilee sitting in there, right? And there's going to be a day where her body says, we're good. It's time for Jubilee to be on the other side. And we would not want to hold her back, would we? We wouldn't want to hold her back. That would bring death to both. And I think in our hearts, and I think it's something that maybe that the, kind of the mom heart of ministry says, I don't want to bring death to any area of your life. When it's time for you to run, we say run, right? And I'm excited about that. I, I just love that idea of the sonship, that you inherit everything that the Father wants for you to have. There's no holding back. There's no stinginess. There's no, like, you get everything but this. You know, you get all of it. Because he's like, I want you to run. I want you to have everything that you need to have right now to be successful and to, to run after the Lord. And I just, I love that. Um, the story of adoption into the lineage of the Father. Being everything being given that the Father would have been. And uh, I was thinking, I don't know about you guys, um, but there's times where when we run, and you, you look like David. Do you guys remember when David came dancing through and his wife was like, oh my word. Like just shocked. That was not the heart of the father through her at that exact moment, was it? That was her like self-protective. Ah! Although, I mean, how many of you guys would be super excited if your spouse came streaking through? <laughs> I mean, seriously. But it was like, oh. But I was also thinking of, um, of years ago, Brad and I had been married um, for like a hot second. And I, we had this crazy house fire. I've shared some of this before, so I'm going to just summarize because there's a point at the end, but we had this crazy little house fire. Um, and I was burned my hand, um, some spots on my feet, but mostly my hand, this hand had no skin, um, other than the tops of the fingers and beginning in my arm, but the rest of my hand, um, around had lost, Everything. So you have like different layers of burns, first degree, second degree, third degree. The farther you go down, the less tissue there is for reconstruction. Okay. So if you can imagine, like they're looking at going, mm, this is like the worst level burn you can have. And uh, anyway, and so I kept praying and we kept praying for healing. But I mean, I almost died from, from blood poisoning. It's a fairly dramatic story where it was like, oh, my word. And, and um, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Sometimes, guys, when we're sitting in something like that, we're like, what did we do wrong, God? Like, why are things going wrong all over the place? Like, it just, things kept happening. And um, when the doctors are like, wow, if you hadn't come in, like, in the next hour, you'd be dead. And you're like, either that's the grace of the Holy Spirit right then, or why did you let me get that close to death? Like, why? What is the point of that? And, um, and it was just basically, it was as bad as it could get. And so finally, this beautifully sweet, lovely man that I don't remember at all because I was on so many medications. <laughs> but I do remember him telling Brad, and Brad telling me, you have to have skin graft surgery. And y'all, I mean, I don't know if there was anything more scared. I, was, I mean, I was so scared of that because, you know, they take it from like the back of your leg. 
up here. That's where they wanted to take it. And they have to, they, it's like a, a huge razor or like a cheese slicer, you know? And so they're taking off like a big old square. I know like this is, the, I want y'all to feel this with me a little bit, right? So they're taking off a chunk and they have to take all the skin layers because that's what's missing. So it's not just like, you know, oh, it's a little scrape. No, and you're gonna have a scar back there forever because they're taking the skin away. And they need lots because they don't know what will take, what won't take, so they take extra skin. And then they patch it together and pray that your body doesn't reject it. It just sounded horrible. I was like, the burn was bad, but the healing from that sounded even worse. And, and I was like, no. So I remember my brother-in-law, who is a, a lovely man, but does not, in my knowledge of at the time, often have prophetic words or prophetic dreams. This was not something that I, I knew Brian to have a whole lot of. And the night before my surgery, he had this dream. And so he met us all up at the hospital the next morning. He said, I had a dream last night that Megan was healed and didn't have to have surgery. And oh, me of so much faith was like, that's nice. <sighs> I wasn't in the best mood. <laughs> My heart was not in the right place. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, the doctor says we have to do this. And so I went back and long story short, the doctor uncovered my hand. I wasn't allowed to change dressings on my own. You know, they had, they did it every time. So I'd go home and come back and forth to hospitals or offices and they would be changing it. But, um, and so they unwrap my hand and the doctor's like, we don't have to do surgery. And the nurse literally looks over and goes like, are you sure doctor? And he looked at her, this is like the clearest I was the whole time, by the way. And he looked at her and goes, of course I'm sure I'm the doctor. And, and I lost it, y'all. Now, I mean, they had not actually given me anything sedative-wise yet. And because I was getting ready to have the surgery and the sedation, sed sedation? Okay, thank you. Um, I was not on more pain meds at the moment because they're like, you can only have so much of so many things in your system, right? So some things had to come down so other things could go up. So I sit there, I'm just like super clear for the first time in two weeks and I start screaming at the top of my lungs, I've been healed. And I mean, I am screaming. I can't get out of the bed because they had me hooked up like this with all this stuff, but I am screaming and they're rapidly unhooking things, you know, taking off the blood pressure thing and, you know, cause you're in the OR and they're taking stuff off and I am screaming. And so finally, when I can sit up, I sit up, but they won't let me stand or walk. Okay. So anyway, so they're pushing a gurney thing, whatever that's called. Is that a gurney? Okay. A gurney back towards this, the waiting room where Brad and his dad and brother were. And I screamed the entire way like the entire way as loud as I can. I've been healed. I've been healed. I've been healed. And I'm, I am like preaching as we're going along. And people are like poking their heads out and giggling. I mean, it was the opposite of like when people go, you know, the sad walks, you know, this was like, people are like, what is wrong with that woman? And, and I was just so excited. I was like, he still does it. He still does it. And, and it, was, it was a while of therapies and had to have a compression glove on my hand for a year and some various things. But like, if y'all ever want to see it, she looks a little older than the rest of me because the skin is like, but I'm scarred. There's a scar on my hand. This is where I'm going with this. There's a scar on my hand. And the way that my compression glove hit it scarred in kind of in this zone more and along this because there was a seam. 
And so when I look down at my hand, I see more scars than anybody else ever sees. Do you guys ever feel that way about your life? You know, like you look down or you look in the mirror and you see stuff that nobody else ever sees. And I look down and I see a scarred hand. And I remember when my kids are little, like each one of them, none of them ever noticed my hand until they got older. And at some point, each one of them on their home, they had this moment like, what's wrong with your hand? Like they just never noticed it. It was just mom. But at some point holding my hand or whatever, they felt it and saw it. And, and it was like, we got to share, you know, I shared my story a little bit. And, but it's like where this scar is not symbolic of what the Lord didn't do. The scar is not symbolic of me almost dying or the drama of the fire, all of that. The scar is symbolic of him healing a burn. But he didn't take the scar away. You know, he didn't take it away. He left it there as a testimony to his healing presence on my body. It's there. And I think of in, in, in the New Testament when they talk about Jesus coming up and holding his hand out, the scars are on his body. And I think sometimes we kind of get a little mixed up in the church and we feel like we should be healed so that we look very un-Jesus-like without any scars on us at all and be able to walk and do things in perfection, not in humility and thankfulness for where the Lord's really touched our body. Does that make sense? Not at all on what I'm supposed to be talking about, by the way. This is like an extra free freebie while you get hungry. I get to get this in in 15 minutes, y'all. This is going to be crazy. But I just, I felt like the Lord was just reminding me of his scars this morning that he carries for us. And the scars that some of us carry. And there are sometimes that a wound has to be reopened. And there's a name for it. I don't know what the name is. But they like clean it all out. Like suck it dry again and start all over again. And to, so it'll heal. And so sometimes I think, sometimes the Lord's like, I need you to allow me to bring this up. Clean this out and heal it fully in my way of healing it. Don't just hide it but let it scar over and it's healthy and whole and, and able to be used again. Does that make sense? So I feel a little bit like to be totally weird and symbolic, the room we're in is a little like this. This building is a little like this. There has been a battle over this place. If you're not aware of that, I was not here, nor was I around when there were other things that happened in the past in this area. Um, I've had the honor of hearing stories from lots of people, but I remember... In 2018, when the Lord started speaking to Brad and I about planting a church, and some point in there, I was at TG Maxx or Marshalls and found this cute little journal and brought it home, and I was going to use it to write things in our life down because we have a journal that we've written stuff for 20 years when the Lord would provide or whatever. I wish I'd been way more faithful to it than I have been, but there's a lot of stories that are written in there. So I was going to change over and do this, and Brad said, I can actually have that for our church plant and start writing things down in it. And, um, and so it has just different dates and times of things that we first started meeting. And today, when I was in there printing my stuff out this morning, I saw it sitting on his desk. And, um, and I just thought, oh, my word. Our first fall fellowship, we love the word fellowship, so like you get a lot of Fs around your family feasts, fellowships, whatever, um, was on May 5th. January, February, March, April, May, May 5th of 2018. And our first time that we met in this building, which was actually in this room, was in March, March 24th, 
of 2019. That's pretty quick. Like the Lord really kind of moved some stuff along faster than we realized he would. And the funny part of it was, so it says in here, March 21st, 24th, first Sunday at 301 Harvard. So almost three years exactly. Like we're like a week and a half off or something like two weeks off. Anyway, first Sunday at 301 Harvard. um, And the kingdom is like was what Brad was preaching on that day. I was telling Betsy earlier, the week before I had preached on Habakkuk too, and I have no idea what I was talking, like what had, the Lord had me in Habakkuk. I'm like, I'm kind of curious. What was I talking about? I don't remember. But the next week we were in here, that was the last week over at Lord's Legacy. The next week we were in here and Brad preached on the kingdom is like. And when I went backwards, I actually found where before we had any other meetings, Brad and Chuck had gone out for coffee one day and they were there and we were, they were praying and talking about stuff and, um, came back with something that we call our mission statement. And it's written in here, June 15th of 2018, the Lord gave, gave the, the mission statement for what we would be about. So I wanted this morning to just hit at the mission statement, for us to look at our mission statement together and just talk about two different things um, that are in the mission statement. You guys are good if we're a little bit over, right? Good? Because we have food right here. Like, y'all don't have to do anything. Like, if you didn't bring food and you're not planning on staying, I mean, seriously, like ham, yams, and homemade mac and cheese. I mean, just stay. So, um, silence, crickets, that's fun. Either you guys are starving or you're already dead. (laughs) Perfect. That means I can talk all you want. So anyway, so here's our mission statement. And I think we can put it up here. I was trying yesterday to be creative. Can we put it up here, y'all? Maybe. I was trying to stick it in there, and uh, okay, they're, they're thinking about it. And um, oh, there we go. Look. So I want to pull out a couple of words from this, but can we all st- say this together? You don't have to stand. That was accident. Can we say it together? Our mission is to honor Jesus Christ, the King, and to expand his kingdom in our community and around the world. Y'all sound super excited about this. Super excited about it. Let's try it one more time. Like, okay, so one of the things, I used to do radio. That comes up a lot because I love radio and, and stuff. But anyway, so like one of the things that I was taught when I was in school is that before you start speaking, smile. It sounds dumb. You don't have to smile while you're talking because that's weird. But just smile and then start talking. It changes the tone of your voice. So everybody smile, fake smile. I won't even look at you. You're all looking forward to smile. Now let's say it. Our mission is to honor Jesus Christ, the King, and to expand his kingdom in our community and around the world. Yeah. I always want to add on there, comma, for the glory of God. Brad and I have had so many arguments about this because I wanted for the glory of God to be on there, and he took it off, and I was like, shh. But that's okay. I get to say it. He's not here. I can say it. So... (laughs) I know that we'll do more talking over time about the mission statement, but one of the reasons I love to do, uh, to look at a mission statement, especially when we kind of have a one-off sermon set between things or, or whatever, is that it gives us a little bit of a gauge. Like, how are we doing? It's like a little bit of like home life. Okay, let's look. How are we doing? Here's our mission. Are we doing it? Are we not? Do we need to adjust a few things? And let's look at this. And I want to pull out two words from this and just talk through it really fast. 
I won't try to talk really fast, although I know I do that normally. But anyway, to talk really fast about this. And the first word I want to pull out is the word honor. Honor. Our mission, that means all of us together, is to honor Jesus Christ the King. How do we honor Jesus Christ the King? Like, what does that mean in your own life, to honor Jesus Christ the King? Well, my word of the year is I, it for, for me is honor. The Lord's been really clear on that. Um, he has spoken to me about it for the last couple months. He doesn't let me get around from the word. He just keeps bringing it up again and again and again. And um, this year was like the first year in several years that I had not done an end of the year or right at the beginning of the year sermon on word of the year. I hadn't, I was like determined this year, I'm not going to force that. I'm not going to do it. And it still came up anyway. And, and I've said before that the word of the year, the Lord places in my heart, it's always with a little bit of trepidation because 2020's word was the word gather. Yeah, you can laugh. Because we had to fight to gather, y'all. We had to fight to gather the whole year, it felt like, from March on. It was like, I was like, and my word was gather and we're not. You know, and I had to fight for it. I was like, every time the Lord gives me a word, sometimes then he's like, what is the teaching in this? Where are we going with this? So the word for me for this year is honor. Honor is, I love this. I actually looked it up in like three different dictionaries and hated what they said, hated it. So I was chatting with Brad a little bit and I was like, if you had to just define honor for me after knowing this is what the three different, they don't say the same thing. You look up Webster's, you look up the other dictionaries, they're all slightly different, similar, but different. And I kind of didn't agree with all of them. And so he was like, this is what he said, honor well, in our discussion, honor is a correct perspective and an appropriate response to the value of something. I was like, I love my husband. Like he just spouts these things off. I'm like, yes, say it again. Honor is a correct perspective and an appropriate response to the value of something. It's not just an internal attitude. It's an outward response. All right. So it's not just hmm, in something inside of me. It's an outward response. It's both of those, both things together. In fact, one of the main things I kept seeing in, in honor was like, honor is a type of respect. Like they kept using respect to actually be almost like a synonym for honor, but it's not the same thing. Respect is not the same thing. Respect is based on competency or what you do well. You do this well, you earn respect, right? Marcy has earned the respect of her peers as an amazing nurse, and non-peers, because I think she's an amazing nurse. So that is something that she does well, right? But when we were talking about sonship, do you want the Lord to look at you based on how you do well? Does you, do you want the Lord's respect based on what you do well? No, sonship is what? It's based on who you are. Honor is based on who someone is. And we ascribe honor based on like position, right? So when we're talking about Jesus Christ, the King, he's the Lord, right? He's the King. So we're going to honor him, but how we honor him is by honoring each other too, right? Because we are the creations. It's a posture of the heart in a humility of saying, I honor each of you because it's my way of honoring God, your creator. Respect is earned, but honor is given. So we want to be purposeful with honoring each other out of honoring our God, I just think there's like this fine line and sometimes we can lose the line because sometimes we forget when we look at another person. And I love the fact, like you were talking about um, Nepal and we're talking about places around the world. 
or maybe it's just a community across the other side of Lexington. And we step in and we can sometimes get mixed up and where they lack of respect because what we see is lack of the same cultural identity that we have. But instead we step in and we see a created being in the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that takes everything else away. And all of a sudden, as much as we might want to be willing to come up and wash the feet of Jesus, we should be running and willing in our hearts to come up and wash the feet of those across the nations or on the other side of the city because they are created in the likeness of our Lord. Every bit of them was made perfect in him. And who am I to stand in the way and say, Shh, no, I don't like that. You haven't earned my honor. You haven't earned my respect. That's not how honor works. So we put honor in there so specifically, okay? It's not just a good sounding word. It's specifically in there. Our mission is to honor Jesus Christ the King. And the way we honor Jesus Christ is how we actually walk that out with one another. That's what shows the honor. I think Mama Betsy would also say, it also is like if you walk through and see a tissue on the floor, I won't leave it, I promise, that you pick it up, right? That we honor Jesus Christ by the way we steward stuff around us, the way we live in our environment. And so it's interesting, she had talked, shared a couple times about just, um, I forget how you phrased it so beautifully, but it was about picking stuff up as you go along. I used to have another friend who said, touch something once, touch it once. Pick it up and put it in the right place so you don't have to touch it again, right? And so it was interesting. We were somewhere um, with a couple uh, ladies several months ago, and I was with walking beside Sasha. And we were like in another church, another place. And she walks along, and there was a tissue that somebody had left. And without even thinking, she just reached down and picked it up and like took it to the trash can. And I was like, oh, Betsy would be so proud of you right now. It was beautiful. So we want to honor Jesus Christ the King and to expand his kingdom in our community and around the world for the glory of God. <laughs> kingdom, that's the other word, to expand his kingdom. How do we expand his kingdom? What does that look like? Don't cut yourself short here. Don't cut yourself short. We inherited the kingdom, right? We inherit the kingdom because of sonship. It's not static. It just isn't. I really feel like I talk this a lot with my kids. Nothing in life is static. It's either growing or it's dying. There it's static, like neutral, is actually not a position in the world. If you're in neutral, you're just pausing before death. You know, like there isn't neutral, like, which is funny because Brad's personality is much more neutral than mine. Mine is like this. And, and I'm like, no, if I feel neutral or if I feel like this, I am just about to deep dive into depression or something. Like, I mean, I am just, I'm either going up or I'm like having the feels. That's how I meant to be, you know? And so it's like, we're, we're not static creatures, and, uh, and so we inherit everything that Jesus inherited. Everything that he has, we have been given, right? Is that truth or not truth? Thank you. So the last couple of weeks, Brad taught out of Luke. All right, so we're going to fly through a couple of verses really fast. Can you guys open to Luke with me? Now, 
if you think back to yourself, what? He did talk out of love. He was speaking out of it. I don't know if he went to all the verses. I don't think so. But he was talking about how, and we've mentioned this maybe, I don't know, over the last several months, several times, where the dove came down, and, but he was baptized, actually baptized and came up, and the dove came, and the voice um, of the Father then said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. On which side of Jesus' ministry did that happen? Before, right? That's what he was talking about. Before, that before there had been anything that was done, the father was expressly saying, before you've given your life for me, before you've tested, walked this out, before any of this, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, well pleased. In which way I think he would do that to each one of us. So I wanted to look really fast for, um, into the word of kingdom really quick in here. Because Jesus goes from, the, the uh, father speaking over him into the wilderness, coming out of the wilderness, and it's like he literally rolled his sleeves up and said, now it's time to get to work. Now it's time to get to work. And that's what our mission statement should do for us. It's like, now it's time to get to work. So really fast, we're going to read this, and um, we're going to go to Luke 4, 18 first. The Spirit of God is upon me. Remember that? The dove came down and said upon him, chapter before. The spirit of God is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Ready? Do you guys have my Bible verses back there, y'all? Mm-hmm. Luke 4. Then I love this, verse 20. Normally I hear the next one already get, usually getting, getting said, but I love verse 20. This made me happy right here. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants and sat down. I feel like in my Bible, I put rolled up the sleeves right there. And he rolled up the scroll. He was like, I'm right. This is it. This is what I'm supposed to do. And he's announcing his mission statement right there. This is ministry. This is my calling. This is what my father has sent me to do right here in these two verses. I'm sent to do this. So what does that say for us? We have been sent to do this too. So we come out of the desert. He sets his eyes forward. He says, this is what I'm supposed to do. Rolls up the scroll, proverbially rolling up his sleeves, sits down and starts talking about it and speaking. Jump forward really fast to 418 with me really fast. No, four, I'm sorry, 442. He had just gotten started in his ministry. I mean, they're just like going. He's running. Do you think it's time? Like if we were really doing something hard, is that like when you're like, I'm going to go take a break right now? That's, he, you just got going. And verse 42 says, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. What is the desolate place? Sonship. He went to go seek first the kingdom of God before he started preaching on it. He went into relationship. Do you remember the story that Brad shared of um, JFK Jr. being underneath the Oval Office desk? hiding under there. And it's like, he knew where he needed to go back to. He went to intentionally reconnect with the father or intentionally reconnect with the father. I remember after Lottie was born or Cohen, after Cohen was born, who was my first baby to have like breastfed because the others, um, were not, uh, for obvious reasons. And, and so, uh, I had Cohen and they talk about your fourth trimester, which sort of blows my brain. Cause like, well, you can't have four trimesters, but it's the first three months out of, out of the womb, right? That regularly that baby needs to reconnect 
How does a baby reconnect? It's nursing. But it's not just nursing. There's, there's so much, it's like the baby's body calms down. There's regulation of temperature that happens. I mean, they've studied this. And it's amazing what happens when a mother nurses their baby. Because it's just, it brings like shalom to this baby's body. It puts it back in perfect peace. And for the first three months after birth, that baby just needs to reconnect regularly right, in order to be brought back to perfect pieces. It's learning to deal with the chaos of the world around it, all the stimulation and all the stuff. And I look here, and it's like Jesus knew what he needed to do. He went back to go find perfect peace. He went back, and he says in 42, he went, goes to a desolate place, and then in 43, it says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He reconnects. And he goes back to his mission and he goes, and now we're going to keep going. And now we're going to keep going. So that's uh, uh, in their kingdom. I have a little K with a crown above it every time I see the word kingdom in this. So we're going to jump forward again one more time. Let's go to 612. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. All night, he continued to pray with God. What is that? He connected. You're going to see this again and again, right? He goes and does kingdom ministry. Then he reconnects with the Lord. Sonship. He's knowing that he has an opportunity to tie into the Father. Then he goes back out. And then he talks about the Beatitudes. I somehow in my childhood did not remember ever being taught the Beatitudes. I don't know what happened. I spaced out a lot as a kid, I guess, probably, but I spaced out. So I remember as a young adult reading the Beatitudes, I was like, oh, these are brilliant. It's like, oh yeah, it's like, I'm sure I was taught it like a hundred times, but anyway, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. He goes back and forth. He's pushing in the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. What is the kingdom again? If you're confused to that, what is the kingdom again? What is he preaching about to proclaim good news to the poor? sent me to proclaim liberty of the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, liberty for those who are oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the kingdom of God on earth right here. We were kind of in that in-between, the yet but not yet thing, and he was like, no, I'm bringing this down here. I'm bringing the freedom. I'm bringing the liberty. I'm bringing the healing. I'm here to do this. And as he keeps saying it again, I'm, I'm, I'm. You're going to see that again and again. I'm doing it. I'm telling you. I'm doing that. So let's jump forward again on to 728. I don't know if I have this in here. Yeah, I think I do actually. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And eight, one, bringing the good news. Soon afterwards, he went on to throughout the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. I love this in eight where he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then all of a sudden, throughout this whole time, he's been healing, providing. He's doing the things he's telling. I mean, you're healing multitudes. He's talking about the tree and the fruit. If y'all know me, you know I love the tree and the fruit stuff. Bring me about all the figs. He keeps talking about this. He's talking about fasting. He's teaching them how do you connect in with the Father as the Son. He's teaching his disciples, and he's healing. He's doing the kingdom work. And then you come to nine, and there's this sudden shift. A sudden shift all of a sudden at nine. Nine, he says this. And he called the 12 disciples and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. 
there's suddenly this shift that turns around. In fact, in my Bible, I have the ESV, and I was looking this up, and there's 43 different times that it mentions the kingdom of God in the book of Luke. 43 times. I mean, Luke wanted us to understand that his primary response to ministry was to bring the kingdom of God to earth. That is what Jesus was doing. But here he turns it around. There's a transfer of authority. The son came. He had intimacy and identity with the father. But now he broadens that identity. It's no longer there. Can we have the, um, the uh, hey guys. <clears throat> Can we have the mission statement back, please? Thank you. Thank you. He expands his kingdom. He expands his kingdom. He broadens the identity to the disciples. He tells them to go out and to do all the things, right? All the things. The primary mission in God in Jesus's life was announcing the kingdom and proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom. So he's proclaiming it again and again and again, and then he's demonstrating it. And now he's transferred that power over. One more spot right here. I don't think I have it up here, so don't worry about trying to go there. 9-11, when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. You know, he's walking like the father walks right there. You see like the father's heart because he didn't just tell him to go do it and step away and be like, well, you know, figure it out. He continues to walk beside them. He's making disciples and walking beside them and preparing them, and we know the rest of the story, preparing them to carry it to, to, carry it to fruition on their own. I want us to jump forward to Romans 15 really fast because I think this is just a beautiful thought that Paul wrote. What was Jesus' goal here? He says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles. Did you get that? I'm not going to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Do you not hear Christ's words right there? I'm not going to say anything except what the Father tells me to do. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Lyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, fully done by word and deed. It's not one or the other, it's both. In balance, both. Because we're sons, we share the same mission. Jesus' mission is the kingdom of God. His mission was to teach us to proclaim the kingdom of God. So when we look at our mission statement, we are to be expanding that too. I love Val gave me a, a letter last week that had some declarations that she was praying over me all week, like things that she said, I just see the Lord speaking this over you. I loved it. I loved it because she's expanding my viewpoint. She lifted my head and helped me look at some things differently in my own life. We're meant to do that over one another, to proclaim the ministry of God in each other's lives, not just like, hey, you broke your foot, can we heal? That's awesome. But we are to proclaim the identity of sonship over each other's lives regularly. I wonder if sometimes, and especially in a, a more uh, charismatic church, we can forget that side of it all. 
You know, we can kind of get hung up on like, let's do the signs and the wonders and forget that there's this balance of the identity of who are you in Christ? What is Christ speaking over you right now? And the reason I think that we key back into that again and again is that sonship idea that we prioritize our relationship with the Father. It teaches us discernment and listening. It teaches us what Deuteronomy 6 said in there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It takes us back to that very beginning root again to say we have to put our ear to the ground and hear what the Lord is saying. Or I can pray over you all day long and you might get healed, you might not get healed. I hear so many people preach on that. Like, well, we don't really know why the Lord doesn't heal or he does or doesn't heal. Like, well, that's true. Sometimes we don't know, right? But the thing is, I think more often than not, if we have tuned into hearing and discerning the voice of the Lord in our hearts, sometimes I have to tell you, I've been praying over someone who might have a, we'll just say broken foot. I don't know why that keeps coming to my head. If somebody has a foot that's hurting, maybe we're supposed to pray over you today. I don't know. But um, somebody has a broken foot and there have been times where they asked for prayer over the broken foot and I get up there and I'm praying, I'm standing there listening and the Lord's like, I'm not touching that foot today. Their heart is broken. Their unforgiveness in their heart has created a wall between me and them. And there's something else I want to heal today. And he starts to speak about identity, speak about a completely different subject matter, you know? And so you're sitting there and it's like, hey, I know your foot hurts, but can we talk about this first? And he leads it into it. So it's not just, we're not magicians. We're children of the most high God who's saying, can you please be a a conduit to my presence on earth in somebody else's life? And we see that throughout here. And I think that is the kingdom of God that we're to expand the fact that it's not a mysterious presence that we're hoping that if we filled the room with smoke and fog, we'd see somebody walk through because we don't see it with our naked eyes. And yet the church sometimes twists that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like we twist it and we're like, that's not our Jesus. That's not Holy Spirit. Because he wants to heal the heart and start from within. 